Well, hey, Bethel, it is great to be back with you. I want to say thank you so much to each and every one of you who've been praying for my family over these last few weeks. We have had a really wonderful time of refreshment and are excited as we're getting back into the swing of things and anticipating what is ahead in the fall. And I'm really looking forward to diving into God's word here together with us today. Would you bow with me and let's come before God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. You are so good. You are so loving. You are so merciful. You are so kind. And that you've given us your word, that you've not left us alone, but you've given us the truth of your word for us to look into now. Thank you. Lead us now. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be found acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen and amen. In the spring and early summer of 2019, the Toronto Raptors, the, the basketball team in Toronto, were marching their way through the playoffs. And uh, as they progressed, little bit by little bit, towards that final championship series, this, this phenomenon started to develop. Maybe you remember back to seeing this, uh, called Jurassic Park. It, it, was, it grew and started with maybe a few hundred people and then grew from there, where folks were gathering around the, the arena in Toronto to be a part of, to get, to get engulfed into the atmosphere of those games and get to watch them on the big screen. And what began with a few hundred people grew to a few thousand and then grew to tens of thousands as they marched closer and closer towards that championship game. Right near the culmination in the final series, my son Cameron and I and my brother had the uh, joy, the privilege, the craziness of going right down into the midst of it. And uh, we waited in line for 10 hours to get into the crowds and be a part of just the most incredible atmosphere in terms of sporting event that I think I've ever been a part of. For example, it was atmosphere just like this in this video here. We, we were heartbroken that night when they weren't able to pull out the, the final victory and win the championship, but just a couple days later out in California, they pulled it off. And, and that led into, when they arrived back home, this parade. And you maybe have seen some of these pictures like this before, where, where over a million people descended upon downtown Toronto to celebrate as the Raptors brought home championship. Today we are in our second to last week for this summer's version of the Psalms of Summer and we are in Psalm 68 today. And in many ways this is a song that we are going to learn from and it's a song of an ancient even greater parade, championship celebration parade with an even greater if I can say it this way, trophy coming home. I titled the message for this week, The Song of a Celebration Parade. Now grab your Bibles out and turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 6. This moment that we're going to begin in, in 2 Samuel, is, is almost assuredly the moment where our psalm comes from. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 12 says this, So David, King David, went down and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. The ark of, Co of the covenant here is, is a box, the, the ancient box that actually came with the people of God going all the way back to Moses. It was the place where God on earth had his home, the throne of God where God sat and dwelt with his people. The ark goes all the way back to Moses, and, and when Moses went up onto the mountain and got those two tablets with the Ten Commandments on it, they went into this box, and, and it became the, the, the residing place of God as he dwelt with his people. As they wandered through the wilderness and went into the promised land, it was overlaid with gold. It had a throne on top with angels' wings over top. It was the throne of God Almighty, the, the place where God lived here on earth the Ark of the Covenant. Except what happened in 1 Samuel chapter 4 
before David is even on the radar, the, the people of God got into this big war with the Philistines. Many times they fought with the Philistines. This time, though, they got utterly decimated by the Philistines to the point where the Philistines actually beat them so bad that they were able to take the Ark of the Covenant. The, the very presence of God with his people was taken by these pagan Philistines. And they thought, hey, this is amazing. We've won. We've defeated their God, their teeny tiny little God. And they brought it back to their, their land, except it went horribly wrong for them. God's presence amongst this pagan people was so troubling for them. The holiness of God was so overwhelming and brought such devastation on them as they lived in complete rebellion against God that they actually ended up being so much like, we don't want this, we don't want this, that what they did is actually put the, the ark, the box, on a cart and they tied the cart to two cows and then urged these cows to carry the ark. I kid you not, you can read about this in 1 Samuel. To carry the ark back to the people of God because they were like, we don't want this. We don't want anything to do with this. This has brought nothing but misery upon our lives. Take it with you. Take it back. Isn't, isn't that interesting? Just like a little side note here. That for those who are not living in accordance with God, who those who are living in rebellion against God and his ways, his very presence is actually like, I cannot bear it because the holiness of God stands in opposition to our unholiness. I can't take it. I don't, I don't even want it. That's where the Philistines were at. God's holiness and perfection is so, such a contradiction to our sin and our sinfulness. So the ark comes back to the people of God on the top of this cart being carried by a couple cows. And, and they end up, the people, just sort of, for actually a couple of decades, just stashing it in this little house in this town out on the, the, the sticks of Israel. And it just, it just stays there. It's, it stays there. The presence of God here on earth stays at a distance out in the middle of nowhere in this little house in this little town out in the sticks until David here in this moment in 2 Samuel chapter 6 is about to bring the throne of God, the ark of God, the, the very place, the presence of God into the city of God with the people of God. This is the homecoming. It says in chapter 6, verse 13, when those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. There's this incredible worship service of celebration and sacrifice. David, wearing a linen ephod, danced before the Lord with all his might, while he and the entire house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts and sounds of trumpets. Verse 17, they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. The significance of this moment cannot be overstated, friends. The significance of God's very presence on his throne in the ark, coming with the people of God into the city of God at this moment. You, you cannot overstate the significance of this very moment. If you think that the Raptors winning a championship and the parade where there was the seas of people that you saw in that picture there, if you think that if the Leafs one day win the championship and the craziness that will be on the streets of Toronto, if you think those are a big deal, the celebration parade that we are looking at here and learning from where the very presence of God came home to the home of God with the people of God, <sighs> In Psalm 68, Psalm 68 is the song that was given at this very moment. And so it's a longer one. We're not going to have time to hit every single verse in great depth, but we're going to look at the, the entirety of it here and, and have some incredibly sweet and wonderful things to learn from. It begins with a quote, actually. 
Let me read verse 1. May God arise, may his enemies be scattered, may his foes flee before him. This is a direct quote from Moses. This is a direct quote from Moses. You can find it in Numbers 10, verse 35. See, what would happen way back when with Moses, the people of God, every time God would say, it's time to move from one place to the next to the next, God would tell Moses this, and then when Moses would get all the people ready, they'd pack up all their tents, they'd pack up all their stuff, and then the priests would go to lift the Ark of the Covenant to lead the people where to go. But before they did that, this is what Moses said. May God arise, may his enemies be scattered, may his foes flee before him. Every single time, this is what Moses did. Now, David, in this moment, as they are about to march towards the city of God, to the, the temple, the tent of God, the tabernacle, bringing the covenant, the Ark of the Covenant of God, David echoes this very prayer at the beginning of this psalm. As the smoke is blown, he says in verse 2, as the smoke is blown away by the wind, May you blow them away as the wax melts before the fire. May the wicked perish before you. But may the righteous be glad and rejoice before God. May, the may they be happy and joyful. Hebrew poetry, as we've seen, you know, we've been walking through the Psalms all summer here. It has this pattern of repetition to really just drive home the point, to say the same thing from a bunch of different angles to really emphasize and help illuminate what we're learning here. This is what goes on here. Blow the enemies away just like smoke is just cast off in the wind, he says. Melt the enemies like a candle of wax that is just, just comes and just pitters away as the flame flickers. Make your people, your called out ones, glad. Let them rejoice with joy as you go ahead of us, God. Verse 4, he says, Sing to God, sing praise to his name. Extol him who rides in the clouds. His name is the Lord, is Yahweh, and rejoice before him. The emotion and the passion and the sheer bliss of this moment just exudes beyond the pages here. Sing to God, sing praise to God, extol the Lord who rides on the clouds. It, it reminds me again, just a, like a teeny tiny snapshot of that experience, Cam and I had when we were down at the Raptors game where, where we got to see this kind of experience here. As that game was just about to get started, people are just singing at the top of their lungs. The, the energy, it was like you could cut it with a knife. That, that's kind of a little bit like what was going on here. Thousands upon thousands bursting out and singing as they're marching towards Jerusalem. Sing to God, sing praise to his name, extol him who rides in the clouds. His name is the Lord. Rejoice before David is beginning this parade, moving the ark of God to the city of God. And he is echoing those very first days when God would lead his people, with Moses and then Joshua. This is a big deal moment. You know those big deal moments in your life? Like, like the day where you got married, if you've been married. That was a big deal moment in your life, right? Do you remember back to it when, when you were dressed in white walking down the aisle or you saw your bride coming towards you and you say, I do? That was a, that was a big deal moment. Or, or that, that first time you were in the hospital when your first baby arrived. And the screaming of mom and then the arrival of that baby and then the nurse putting that little baby into your arms. And you looking down and it was, a, it was a big deal moment, right? Or maybe for a long time you've struggled with addiction and, and hitting that 100-day sober mark or that one-year sober mark and getting one of those chips to mark that, that was a, a big deal moment in your life, right? You know those big deal moments? This is one of those. For the people of God, this is a big deal moment. A moment you never forget that we are witnessing right here. God's people getting ready to carry 
the ark of God, the very presence of God, into the city of God and the tent of God. Verse 5 starts to talk about who this God is, to, to just recount and refresh our minds, remind ourselves. A father to the fatherless, it says, a defender of widows. This is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads forth the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. He's saying, sing praise to God, rejoice in God, because our God is the God who cares about those who have been cast aside. Our God notices the unnoticeable and the forgotten. It says here, the orphan, the widow, the isolated, the prisoner. This is basically... You know, in that time, the four most vulnerable, four most brushed aside, four most forgotten, four most marginalized groups of people there was. The orphan, the widow, the isolated, and the prisoner. These are the people who are, who are just, who are neglected, who are, who are turned against, who, who are just ignored and stepped over. And I love this. I love this because if you have ever felt like you are a forgotten person. If you've ever felt like you are someone who's just brushed aside, who's marginalized, who's been ignored, who's been dismissed, hear this today, friends. Our God is the God who does not ignore, who has not dismissed, who has not forgotten, but who cares. And who not only cares, but who, who notices, and, and we see here, who defends, who fathers, who dwells with, who comes alongside, who rescues and leads to singing the vulnerable and the forgotten. This, this is our God. This is the God who sits on the throne of the Ark of the Covenant as it is marching towards the city of God. When you went out before your people, O God, Verse 7 says, when you march through the wasteland, the earth shook. The heavens poured down rain before God. The one of Sinai before God, the God of Israel. There's another reference to another Old Testament, previous part of the scriptures about how God brought his people into the promised land. These are direct quotes again coming out of Judges chapter 5. David is quoting here. You can check that this afternoon if you want. God is the God who controls everything. God is the God who controls the weather patterns in all the universe. God is the God who rules and reigns and holds everything together. I, I love with my kids when we're out going for a walk or when we're just in different experiences in life, driving down the road, whatever it might be, and, and we see this like incredible sight to just, just draw their attention and say, hey guys, do you see what God has done here? You know what I mean? I'm sure many of you practice this too. You know, you're sitting on the beach and you're just like, man, isn't the, the sun so warm shining down upon our faces right now, kids? Isn't, doesn't the sand feel just so soft? Isn't it amazing how God came up with all of this? Or, or you, you watch the sunset and all the different spectrum of colors that are across the vista. And, and you're just like, hey kids, come look, come look. Do you see how God has like painted the sky with, with infinite number of different colors, how beautiful this is? Or, or when there's a thunderstorm rolling through on one of those really hot, humid afternoons, and, and the, the lightning is coming down and the thunder is making the whole house shake. And to just say, guys, you don't need to be scared. But do you see how amazing and powerful and mighty our God is that he makes even the thunder and lightning clap and roar? This is our God. And then every once in a while, I'll get one of the wise aleck ones and they'll say, well, that's just science, Dad. And I'll say, yeah, well, do you know who created science? Do you know who holds all the science together? Do you know who holds all that makes science possible together? Do you know, where do you think science came from? God. It's God. This is our God. The Lord, it says in verse 11, announced the word and great was the company of those who proclaimed it. They said, kings and armies flee in haste. In the camps, men divide the plunder. When the Almighty scattered the kings in the land, it was like snow fallen on Zalman. People everywhere heard about the mighty 
works of God. He's recounting back. He's thinking back. He's playing back over the accounts of how God has worked amongst his people. The victories that God has given. How God parted the sea and everybody heard about it. How God made the sun stand still so that the people of God could win in victory. How God brought the walls of Jericho tumbling down and the giant of Goliath to his knees. God scatters the kings and they melted like snowfall on the top of Mount Zalman. This is one of the mountains in Israel there where snow would fall but it would never last. As soon as it would fall, but then as soon as the sun would come down on that black surface of the mountain, it would just immediately melt away. And that's just like what the armies that opposed God were like. They, they would come, they would land, and then it would just melt away like it wasn't even there. And this talk of Mount Zalman seems to kind of inspire David to start thinking about all these other mountains around. I don't know if he's glancing around and seeing some other mountains off in the distance or whatever. He says in verse 15, though, the mountains of Bashan are majestic mountains. Rugged are the mountains of Bashan. These are some of the most, you know, massive, mighty, majestic mountain ranges of the whole area. And he says, why gaze and envy, O rugged mountains? mountains of Bashan. Why, why do you gaze in envy at the mountain where God show, chooses to reign, where the Lord himself will dwell forever? David, again, he, using his like, so, sort of poetic imagery, right? And, and he's imagining these giant mountains of Bashan are looking down upon this tiny little hill in Jerusalem, Mount Zion, this tiny little hill where God's choosing to dwell, and they're envious, because isn't the, the high, mighty, incredible vistas where the gods dwell? Don't you, don't you ascend up to the highest high of mountains to meet with God? But our God dwells in Jerusalem. Our God dwells in Mount Zion. Our God is leading the procession here of the parade to go to his home. It's not on the high, mighty mountains these mountains are having, you know, that pouting pity party. <laughs> Grandparents, you ever been there for a grandchild's birthday party and where, where the birthday kid is opening up their presents and they're so excited and then some of the siblings are watching from a distance and they're like, why don't I get a present? Why, isn't, why are they getting all the things today? And you're kind of like, you know, why are you, don't, don't whine. <laughs> it's their birthday. You know what I'm talking about? David here is like, you know, these, these big mountains of Bashan are having a pouting pity party looking upon this little hill in Jerusalem because it is there where God is going to dwell. Verse 17, the chariots of God are tens of thousands, thousands of thousands, and the Lord has come from Sinai into his sanctuary. God is saying, I'm not going to dwell on the mighty mountains of Bashan. I'm not even going to stay on the mountain where I first met with Moses to give him the Ten Commandments on Sinai. I'm leading my people to go to this hill, the Mount of Zion in Jerusalem. Skip down to verse 24. Your procession has come into view, the psalmist writes. O God, the procession of my God and King into the sanctuary. The parade here, the parade, visualize it, okay? It's like turned the corner and now it's like you can see it or, or they're coming along in the parade and now you can see where the Mount of Zion is, the, the place where the tent is. And it's like we've turned the corner, it's come into view. Verse 25, in front are the singers, after them the musicians, with them are maidens playing tambourines. Praise God in the great congregation. Praise the Lord in the assembly of Israel. There's the little tribe of Benjamin leading them. There are the great thong, throngs of Judah's princes. And there are the princes of Zebulon and Naphtali. You, you've got David here unashamedly dancing as vigorously and hard as he can in his linen ephod. You've got a marching band like no other. You've got every single instrument you can imagine. There's got to be at least a million people here because it, it says basically, you know, there's little Benjamin and then there's, there's the, the princes of Judah and Nephtali and Zebulon, which is to say basically from A to Z, every single person that is a part of the people of God are all here in this moment. And of course they are because this is a big deal moment. Where else would you be than to be here in this moment 
as the ark of God, the very throne and presence of God is coming into the city of God to dwell in the tent of God. Summon your power, O God, it says in verse 28. Show us your strength, O God, as you have done before. In modern times, the chorus would be perhaps, you know, open up the heavens. Show us your glory. Show us your power, O God. Open up the heavens as you have done so many times before. As you've done for your people before. On so many occasions, would you show us your power, your strength, and your glory, O God. Because you are now finishing your plan and bringing your ark to your home on your mountain, in your city, in your land, to your tabernacle. Sing to God, O kingdoms of the earth. Sing praise to the Lord. You are awesome, O God, in your sanctuary. The God of Israel gives power and strength to his people. Praise be to God. Sing to God. Sing to God with all that is in you. Sing praise to God. Look at what he has done here. Sing as we watch this parade. Sing as we see the ark of the covenant of God, the very presence of God going into the home of God as we consider this moment. And David here, the people here, us as we journey along here, we get to come alongside and we read this psalm, Psalm 68, and we rejoice to say, look at what God has done. We watch from a distance and we say, wow, look at how you fulfilled your promises of God. We sing praises with the people of God. We are encouraged and spurred on by David and the people of God here in this moment. Which is all true and all wonderful. But as we read this, we have an even greater way to praise God too. We don't just echo the praises of David and the people as they were singing. And we don't just resonate with celebration of, well, look at what they got to experience and watching from a distance. Friends, today from our homes, we come to this song and we can be actually wrapped up into this song and have our hearts stirred up in songs of praise as well for an even greater reason. We celebrate with our brothers and sisters, but we also celebrate with an even greater sense of awe and wonder. Because about 900 years after this psalm was originally written, the Holy Spirit leads the Apostle Paul to quote this very psalm with an incredible, only given Holy Spirit insight to see what is going on within this psalm? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7 through 10, verse 8 through 10 says this. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led the captives in his train and gave gifts to men. That, that's a direct quote from this psalm. Psalm 68, verse 18. He just quoted it there. This is why it says what it says in Psalm 68, verse 18. What does ascended, Dave, uh, Paul reflects on this, what does ascended mean except that he also descended into the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. In, in other words, in other words, here's what the Holy Spirit had led Paul to see. This is not only a psalm about the ascension of David with the people of God carrying the ark of God. This is actually a psalm about the parade of Jesus who came to make it possible for the very presence of God to come and dwell here on earth. This isn't just about David having the presence of God dwell in Jerusalem at one point in time in that one celebration parade. This is a psalm actually about he who descended so that he could ascend to make this very parade possible so that guess who and guess where God would dwell? He would dwell with us, with you and with me. The very presence of God would take up residence in you. And me. Jesus came in a triumphant parade to make that 
possible to live and to die to make it possible for you and I to become the very presence of God. This is what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Don't you know that you yourselves, hear this at home today, are God's temple and God's spirit lives in you. At the very moment that any one of us surrenders our lives to Jesus to say, Jesus, I believe you are my Savior. You are my ruler, my Lord. You are my treasure. I give my life to you, Jesus. At that very moment, the Spirit of God makes us his home. He makes you his home. Let's us reflect on that for a moment. Let that, let that sink in for a moment. You are the home of God if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. You are the temple of the God of the universe. The God who is king of everyone and everywhere dwells in you. The God who is perfect and holy and pure in every way has made you his home. The God who has all knowledge and all wisdom resides in you. The God who is holding the entire universe together right now lives in we get, we get so excited and we throw these giant parades when, when in a trophy from a sports team comes home and we win the championship, right? We get so excited when, when one of our close family members has been off for a long time at a distance and we get to welcome them home and we have a homecoming party and we put up signs, I'm so glad you're home, Dad. I'm so glad you're home, Mom. This is such a celebration. How amazing is it that the God of the universe has made his home? In you. How often do you think about that? How often do you let it sink in that the almighty God of heaven and earth lives in you? Has it sunk in? I mean, no, of course it hasn't sunk in. It, it will never sink in ultimately for all of us, but, but are you letting it slowly permeate through to seep into your soul, to just let it soak in a little bit more, bit by bit, to say, wow, the God of the universe, really? In me? Does the presence of God lead you to sing like this psalm says, to praise God like Psalm 32 that we already, saw, verse 32, sing to God, O kingdom of the earth, sing praises to the Lord. You are awesome, O God, in your sanctuary. The God of Israel gives power and strength to his people. Praise be to God. Does, does these truths and reflecting upon, thinking upon, meditating upon the fact that God has made you his home, does it lead you to praise him? to sing from the top of your lungs, to dance like nobody's watching and cares like David does here? It ought to. Does it humble you in awe? Psalm 139 picks up on the same theme. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. This knowledge is too wonderful for me, the psalmist says. It's too lofty for me to attain. Do, do you realize how incredible and mind-blowing it is to think that the all-present God of the universe has chosen to take up residence in me, in you, finite, feeble, broken, sinful, flesh and bones? It's too high for me. It's too wonderful. I can't even wrap my mind around it. I cannot attain this. Does it lead you to a point of humility? To say, wow. Or, do you just kind of take it for granted that God is with you? 
that God lives in you. To just kind of assume upon it and it's just like, eh, no, whatever, no big deal. It should humble us and blow us, a, blow us away and be like, wow, this is too wonderful for me. Too high. I can't, I can't attain. I can't wrap my mind around that God lives in me. Does the presence of God lead you to sobriety and repentance? It should too. It should lead us to sing and praise. It should lead us to humble awe. It should lead us to sobriety and repentance. You and I, we are temples of the living God of the universe. And we read, for example, 1 Corinthians 6, flee from sexual immorality. Why? Do you not know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? In you is the very presence of the holy God of the universe. You should have nothing to do with sexual immorality or impurity, friend. We should have nothing to do with that because we are the very temples of God, the holy and pure God. But it's not just about sexual immorality or impurity, right? There are so many more things. We should run from gossip and talking about other people behind their backs. We should have nothing to do with dishonesty or envy. We should walk away from words and crude jokes and filth. We should turn off the TV and the movies that are just full of so much garbage. Oh, you're just being legalistic, Alan. Oh, you're just cutting off all of these things. Oh, you're just being approved. No, no, we're temples of the living God. We should have nothing to do with any of these other things that are anti-him. Because we are temples of the living God. This should lead us to sobriety and to repentance. God, have mercy upon us for we have exposed you to so much that you despise. Finally, maybe today, maybe today you are not a temple of God yet. Maybe you hear all of this here today and you've been around church and you know the different information, but you've never actually come to the point personally of saying, I give my life to Jesus Christ. I surrender all to him. And, and the spirit of God has not come into you. But as you hear all of this and you're like, man, I want that. If I could have the living God dwelling in me, I want that. Well, today, today for you, friend, can be that very day. There is not a special formula to this. It is the cry of your hearts that God hears and knows. And so even right this very moment, or as we sing this final song in just a minute, you can cry out to God from your home and say, if what this guy is saying is even remotely true, I want this. Oh God, come into me. I give my life to Jesus. And today can be the day where for maybe the very first time, you have God come and live in you. Psalm 68, beautiful psalm. A song of praise along the parade route that leads us to rally and unite our hearts with the people of God of old as they sang praises, as the, the very presence of God came into the house of God. And now as we read this knowing Jesus has come, we celebrate even more with this psalm because the very presence of God does not just dwell in a tent in a land far, far away, but you and I have become the very homes of God. Oh, praise the Lord, rejoice in his name, and thanks be to God.
Friends, thank you so much for joining us today, for allowing us to come into your home and to have a chance to worship here together. I really do pray that this message today, as we've, as we've gathered around this incredible song of celebration, as we've been reminded about the amazing gift that is offered up to each one of us, which is God with us, that, that it has ministered and encouraged your heart and your soul today. If there's any ways that we can come alongside you, we would love to help you on your spiritual journey. And so the best and easiest way for us to be able to do this is you just text the number right there on the screen. If you have a prayer request, we'd love to pray for you, pray for your family. If you have a question, we'd love to help answer. That goes right to our leaders and we'll be quick within the next couple days to reply and get in touch with you and just be a support any way we can. Have a wonderful week and we look forward to seeing you again here next Sunday as we finish off our Psalms of Summer in God's Word.